0: Good morning Twitter, I'm Isaac Fitzgerald, he is Saeed Jones and you are watching am to DM.
1: Here is a tweet from the singer Kalani. Sending huge recovery love to Demi Lovato. This is a very personal moment and respected delicately. All we can do is send our best wishes and love. Addiction is not simple or easy. You are very loved, Demi. You will beat this as you did before. BuzzFeed News reporter Chris Geithner had this to say, My
0: thoughts are with Demi Lovato and all of the thousands of other people suffering tonight from addictions,
1: but whose stories we will not read. We will not read. So many people. It's not, unfortunately just Demi Lovato going through this kind of experience. So here's what we know. Okay, um, we know that she was taken to a hospital uh, from her home yesterday in Los Angeles, California. Uh, her family says that yesterday, you know, she was. she's now awake, she's okay, she's in stable condition. That's great. Um, they also said listen, there is a lot of misinformation in the initial kind of Twitter reporting that happens when this happens. Um, so they've asked people not to speculate, which I think is fair. Right. Um, so we won't. And so we're not going to speculate,
0: but we can Broaden the aperture a little bit and kind of to Chris's point there, we can talk about those that suffer from addiction. Uh, Demi herself had been sober for six years and not to, or actually rather recently, she released a song in which um, she kind of admitted that she is no longer sober and that she is struggling with that. And that's one of the things that people are drawn to her music by, right? Her ability to share her. her honesty her willingness to be open Um, and so and so people are drawn to that but to to, to broaden the aperture a little bit so many people suffer from addictions people in your life you either know or don't know suffer from this disease
1: right absolutely I think every single person in this room every single person watching the show right now I feel very confident to say we all know at least one person uh, who has struggled or is struggling with some form of addiction we may not know who Mm -hmm. you know we may not you know be a part of, of that but that doesn't mean they're not going through it and again i'm struck you know in 2016 uh demi lovato did an interview because she's you know she's only 25 Mm -hmm. um and she said you know i'm i'm proud of a lot of things i've done but what i'm most proud of is you know fighting my addiction and dealing with it and i think that candor is so important look at all of the, I mean, we're, we're constantly talking about like the opiate addiction, for example, fentanyl. Dan Vergano kind of talking about how it's just really ravaging people across the country. And so I think there's an opportunity here, both, you know, we continue to wish her well, but also an opportunity for us to learn and, and to live with empathy. And,
0: it's, and to live with ooh. empathy because that, and I saw a lot of empathy on that yep. timeline. I, it was very incredible see this outpouring of support. But you also do see people who maybe aren't aware that addiction is a disease, who maybe. Maybe um, to to try and be empathetic, right? Maybe don't haven't haven't had an opportunity to learn, and that's what this
1: is—is almost a teachable moment, right? Especially pop stars. A lot of you know Demi Lovato's fans are young people, so you know it's a let's talk about it. Uh, To that point, Craig Jenkins has words to live by. Frankly, shit wild out here. You don't know who's going through what. Be a light. Be a light. That said,
0: shit is wild out here, so let's uh, turn now to talk about Facebook. Buzzfeed news reporter Jane Litvinenko tweeted, a doctored video of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has over a million views on Facebook. It takes her Firing Line Show interview out of context to make it look like she doesn't know answers to questions she was
1: not asked. Here's what uh, Ocasio-Cortez had to say about that doctored video. Republicans are so scared of me, they they are faking videos and presenting them as real On Facebook because they can't deal with reality anymore. Here's one bona fide truth: Election Day is November six. Mm. Strong words from a strong woman. Let's take a look at that video.
0: Okay, I'm so, so I'm so sorry. It seems like we couldn't bring up the video. Um, but if you watch the video, uh, basically, like like the tweet said, right. there's um. There's, there's a conversation uh, and, and basically the interviewer is spliced in. Mm-hmm. It looks very real.
1: It's hard to tell that it is cl- uh uh, what they're saying as satire, right? But so, j- yeah, so like in short like one conversation that that actually happened with uh, Ocasio-Cortez has spliced with another person uh, goes by I believe Ali, who's pretending to ask her really facetious questions um, And making it look like often uh, Alexandria Oca- Ocasio-Cortez just doesn't know
0: doesn't know the answer is yeah. laughing at inappropriate times, etc. Right. Etc cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Jane Litvinenko joins us now from Toronto to discuss this video Jane. Good morning. Good morning. So let's start with this. Do we know who is behind this video?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So this video was created by uh, CRTV, which is a conservative um, TV station. And uh, um, I spoke to one of their uh, spokespeople about it. And they're essentially saying, this is satire. Satire has been a key part of political discourse. And that's that's sort of the excuse they're giving for this document video.
1: Okay, so they're saying it's satire, But, uh, first of all, I guess I would ask, like, how's it being received on Facebook initially? Were most people who were watching it, sharing it, aware that it was satire?
2: Um, So the video is up to two million views now. And so with that volume of people watching, it's really hard to say what the reception is. Um, If you read the comments section, some people are obviously calling the video out for being fake. Um, Some people are saying uh, we can't, you know, we as conservatives can't start faking things um, and making it part of our discourse. And you do see a lot of people and just from their avatars or their profiles, a lot of older people falling for this video and sort of believing that it's real and being very outraged at the interview.
1: Right. And, And to that point, Jane, we have the video now. So let's go look at it for a second. Just a short clip.
2: Sure or uh, we don't or we do
0: not uh that was uh th- that's satire it's just satire we keep trying to throw to the video uh, but it's just satire um i do want to ask uh what did what was the response from the group um when people started saying hey wait a second this is a doctored video because they didn't frame it as such like you said originally
2: yeah so it's really interesting uh facebook allows you to look at what the comment was with the video when it was posted and if you look in the edit history you'll see that originally when the video was posted it was not labeled as satire and only about 16 hours or so after a reporter pointed to it on twitter that they add the update they added a winky face and they they updated saying that it's satire so originally um there was absolutely no indication that the video was fake.
1: No indication. And also like the winky face emoji as if this is all a joke. Um, Let's turn to Facebook as a company um, dealing with everything they're dealing with or not. Um, Have they responded uh, to people's feedback that, hey, like, isn't this literally fake news?
2: So they wouldn't comment about this specific post, um, but Facebook overall tends to allow satire on its platforms. Um, and a spokesperson did point me to the satire disclaimer. Um, so essentially what happens is if a lot of people say in the comments, this is fake news, or if a lot of people flag it as fake news to Facebook, then a fact checker goes in and says, OK, yes, this is legitimately satire or no, this is satire. Um, passing is fake news. But um, that is not directly that does not directly impact the video. And that, that process does take some time
1: all right cool 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 uh jane as (laughs) always thanks for joining us this morning
2: all right (laughs) thanks for having
0: me all right well let's take it to the timeline because listen if we're being honest, we've all probably been there before. So what do you do on Twitter, on Facebook, when you've shared a false story or mm-hmm. you've shared a fake video? Photo How, out of context. Yeah, that yeah. shark. I th- I'm thinking about that shark that's swimming in the waterways <laughs> that always gets shared. What do you do? How do you correct? Let us know using the hashtag am Yeah, share some of your best practices, because we could all learn from them. I always delete. OK. I feel like some people still, they like retweet, and they just keep those retweets coming in. But all right, well, let's turn now to a video that was not Our own Charlie Warzel tweeted, Yesterday, Alex Jones accused Robert Mueller of participating in a child rape ring and pantomimed shooting him. It was broadcast live on Facebook. I asked last night and Facebook said the rant did not violate its community
1: guidelines. Community guidelines, 46,000 views. Well, BuzzFeed News senior technology reporter Charlie Warzel joins us now. Charlie, uh, good morning. Welcome to the tech dystopia, guys. Oh, we, oh, we just arrived? <laughs> OK, so Facebook recently stated that it would not remove infowars from its platforms for spreading false news. Why not? Well,
3: uh, Facebook, uh, you know, does not want to be in the business of trying to determine what's true and what is not. Um, and, you know, in some, in a lot of cases with journalism, that's that's actually a really good thing. You know, we don't want them to be arbiters of, uh, you know, whether this fact was 80% true or, or, or 40% true. Um, but in a case like this, uh, Alex Jones, who is the Uh, founder of InfoWars and its chief conspiracy theorist, is really testing the limits of Facebook's desire not to, you know, want to moderate or meddle too much. Um, You know, as as he did on his Monday show, uh, you know, he said completely baseless things about uh, Robert Mueller connecting him to a child sex ring, um, you know, saying that he um, has facilitated flying children across the country in uh, sex planes, I think he called them. Um, And just like very, uh, you know, untrue language. Um, and then obviously pantomime shooting him. Um, and, and again, as with the, uh, the, the video you guys just talked about, uh, Jones sort of frames this always as satire. Um, of course, this is a, you know, a, appears to be a willful communication of, of false information. So he's testing the limits and Facebook um, doesn't want to get involved. And, and here we are. All right. And, wh- and what does Facebook gain by keeping Infowars on its platform? Well, uh, you, Facebook and uh, these other, you know, big social media platforms uh, very want to give a voice to all people. Um, that's sort of how they were founded on this uh, sort of, you know, utopian ideal of uh, everyone has this the same opportunity and same voice. Uh, so. With that like founding principle in mind, uh, they are very worried about being seen as having any political bias. Um, Infowars obviously uh, skews towards f- the fringe branch of you know the pro-Trump media uh, and 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 the right, and so they don't want to be seen as. You know, censoring any speech in, in a broad way. So, you know, that's really the big reason. They seem to think that this would set some sort of precedent. Uh, then they would have to be booting off all kinds of other different pages. And so uh, Alex Jones gets to stay. And as you can see, he's, you know, he's really, um, he's doing basically as much as he can to wag his finger in Mark Zuckerberg's face.
0: All right, and uh, let's keep all of that in mind when we move to this tweet from you, Charlie. Another new one from Ryan Mac and me. We obtained Facebook's departing security chief's March memo to employees in which he advocates for being less invasive with data collection slash creepy and argues, quote, we need to be willing to pick sides. So Charlie, can you remind us again, why did Alex Stamos leave in March and what
3: did you learn from this memo? Uh, Yeah, so this memo, it was, um, Ryan and I believe, you know, a very good window inside uh, some of the discussions that are going on at Facebook at this really crucial time. Uh, Alex Stamos is still for a a time their chief security officer, uh, meaning, you know, he is deeply involved in Helping sort out a lot of these issues with election interference, uh, et cetera, um, a lot of the stuff that that we're all very concerned about with Facebook, especially as we look towards 2018 and the 2020 elections. And so, uh, this the reasons in the memo that Stamos goes into for for leaving are you know spending more time with family. That this is you know a very like difficult job, uh, obviously. But, you know, more than anything else, he lays out a series of sort of, they're not warnings, but they're sort of prescriptions or recommendations for Facebook saying, you know, we don't want to do, we shouldn't be doing as much data collection, um, or we should, you know, delete that data after we need to, you know, not prioritize scale and growth over everything and, and let Wall Street know that that's okay, and, and that we need to listen to people, both internally and externally, when they come to us and say that Facebook is creepy in some way.
1: And, and, Charlie, uh, so, and I yeah. hate to rush you, but I mean, this is the question, I think, on everyone's mind. Are there any signs that people at, base, uh, at Facebook, since this memo have come out, have responded to his memo?
3: I think that uh, that is very difficult for us to know what the, what the sort of the rest of the internal discussion is. This was very widely read, I'm told, inside the company. Uh, And, uh, you know, Alex Stamos was a, is a um, sort of a, someone who's not afraid to butt heads. So I I know that these conversations, you know, have been happening inside the company. But I, I think the question that sort of hangs over all of this is, Someone who is so impassioned and has these opinions and is, you know, urging Facebook to be the best that it can be. Um, why is he leaving now <laughs> when,
1: when it seems like there's so, you know, so many of these problems still to fix? All right. Just more questions. Well, uh, Charlie, as always, thank you for joining us this morning. All right, friends, uh, stick around. Uh, Later in the show, uh, BuzzFeed editor Ben Smith and I will be going live from the district with Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. And Isaac is going to be sitting down with the most handsome man in Hollywood, Mm. I think. John Cho later this morning as well. Today in handsomeness. (laughs) I'm excited. It's going to be a good bit. Welcome back. I'm here with Ben Smith, editor in chief of BuzzFeed News, and we are going live from the district right now with uh, the Congressman Jim Clyburn, a top-ranking Democrat from the great state of South Carolina. Good morning, Congressman.
4: Good morning. Thank, thank you, you, you so coming. much for having me. Of course.
5: Congressman, thank you. Thank you again for coming on. And there's, you know, there's been a lot in the news lately about essentially white people calling the police on black people for trivial reasons. And I know the Congressional ba- Black Caucus, of which you're a leading member. Is meeting later today. And I guess, and I wondered whether there's any, le- that's whether you are talking about or thinking about legislation to address that.
4: Well, I don't know how you put together legislation uh, to uh, you know, prevent something like that from happening. People uh, tend to take on uh, whatever may be existing in their communities and in places that they frequent. And I think that what we are seeing here is sort of uh, a, a, an updated version of what happened to African Americans uh, over the years. On tomorrow, for instance, we will be celebrating the 70th anniversary uh, of the executive order signed by President Truman to integrate the armed services. What people, few people realize is that that was precipitated by an incident that took place in South Carolina just before uh, the executive order was signed. President Truman reacted uh, to a white police officer uh, beating to near death an African-American soldier who was in his uniform trying to get home to North Carolina, leaving Fort Benning, Georgia, coming through South Carolina. He was beaten and blinded uh, in Batesburg, uh, South Carolina. And that's what precipitated Harry Truman to sign that executive order. And when he signed that executive order, that executive order precipitated Strom Thurmond, uh, forming the States' Rights Party uh, over integrating the armed services. Now that is the kind of mentality that is coming back uh, into our political uh, discussion and actions today, I don't know how you prevent that legislatively. I I think you might be able to do something with executive orders uh, to ask people to act differently
1: long history there. Well, let's talk about recent history. Just last night, uh, CNN played the tape seized from Michael Cohen's office of secretly recorded conversations between him and President Trump concerning payments to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal. McKay Coppins, staff writer at The Atlantic, Atlantic tweeted, at the beginning of the tape, Trump can be heard asking about which pastor surrogates he can, quote, use to cover for him. Amazing, uh, McKay said. So, uh, congressmen, evangelicals and churchgoers are certainly, a huge part of the South Carolina electorate. Are you surprised by their continued support for him?
4: No, I'm not. And that may sound uh, a bit interesting to you, uh, but I was born and raised in a parsonage. My father was a pastor. In fact, when I left home to go off to college, I thought uh, I would be going to uh, get a bachelor's degree and and on to the seminary. But it was during the 60s, during the sit-ins, that I saw this tremendous contradiction uh, in uh, what people profess uh, and what people practice. And so the professions that we get from a lot of evangelicals uh, run totally contrary to their practices, and I'm used to that. Uh, I, uh, I do believe uh, very strongly uh, that those of us who practice Christianity, uh, know that there are various versions of it. Uh, There are some people who worship Christianity with snakes. I would never do that. There are others who worship Christianity by calling for separation of the races. I don't believe in that. And so for us to see, I remember the Christian Coalition. Uh, In fact, the original uh, executive director of the Christian Coalition was from Charleston County, South Carolina. So I'm very familiar with these contradictions. So I'm not surprised at all to see evangelicals professing uh, to believe in the fundamentals of Christianity, yet practice something totally different. Mm.
5: Um, co- Congressman, now. Um I think I read recently that you, you celebrated your 70th birthday this week and and happy birthday and I think that also makes you the youngest member of the senior house leadership team and I know there's been calls for kinda of generational change and I wonder if you think it's time for you and speaker Pelosi to to make way for another generation
4: well let me ask you a question uh, when I came here I might have been the oldest member of my freshman class uh, and you might ask the question Why uh, did it take me so long to get here? I'm not responsible for those laws, the same kind of laws I just talked about uh, down in South Carolina and many parts of this country. Uh, So I've said to people before, I'm not of the same generation as the majority of the people in my caucus. Uh, So I think uh, that what we have to take into account uh, is the fact that not just uh, chronology Uh, of what uh, puts you in the generation, but the political realities of what puts you there. And for me uh, to be subjected uh, to that same measurement rod uh, is not uh, uh, fair, and we ought to always keep that into account. So I would say to you that um, let's just look at uh, who people are, what they are, how they conduct themselves, whether or not they have anything to contribute, And let's measure people uh, by those things. Now, if I uh, begin to show uh, some senility, my wife would be the first one to tell me. (laughs) And my children would second those emotions uh, very forcefully.
5: Uh, Understood. But I wonder there is this impatience in the country, and you can feel it. And I wonder, you know, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, how do you explain to her, to her supporters, she's going to have to wait, I don't know, 50 years to reach seniority, 20 years, 30 years? I mean, how do you, and should she basically wait?
4: I would ask her to remember how long I had to wait to get here. <laughs> Let's not forget the history of all of this. And I think that uh, all of, uh, folks who have that mentality uh, seem uh, not to give much respect to those of us who sat in jails, as I did, so that they would have uh, the kind of activities or the kinds of rights uh, that they have today. So um, do I get any credit? Uh, for being on the cutting edge of all of that or should the credit go to my children and grandchildren uh, who are the beneficiaries of it, I think that we have to balance this out. Remember it is also biblical uh, that people are called to, this, to these battles uh, because of their uh, knowledge. Some people are called because of their strength. There must be a balancing uh, of this uh, if we are going to uh, proceed successfully. As a country, uh, I tell people all the time uh, politics is all uh, about balancing the efficiency against the effectiveness, and that's what we ought to keep in mind.
5: Okay. Well, well we, we appreciate and respect your willingness to mix it up with obnoxious young reporters on, <laughs> on the Internet here. I don't know, Saeed, you got more?
1: Congressman, <laughs> uh, you know, to be obnoxious well, for a moment, I did want to change gears and ask you just, you know, one follow-up question. Uh, you know, just yesterday, the president and the White House announced that he would no longer, you know, be putting readouts of his conversations with foreign leaders, obviously in light of Helsinki, which was just over a week ago. To be very blunt, do you think Putin has something over on Trump? And what is it?
4: Oh yeah, I really think that. I've been thinking that for a long time. Uh, And I really believe uh, that the American people uh, ought to be very, very careful about this investigation that's going on. It seems to me that first and foremost with all of us should be the preservation of this democracy uh, that is very, very tenuous. I've made some significant sacrifices uh, in my life to try to help us become a more perfect union. I know this country is not perfect. I have been uh, the recipient of uh, some of its imperfections, but I've worked hard uh, to make sure that we continue this pursuit of a perfect union. And that's what we've got to do here. That's why the Mueller investigation must be continued and we as American citizens must get to the bottom of exactly what is uh, causing this president to act so irrationally, and I don't know of anybody, evangelical or otherwise, who will call this rational behavior uh, that we are seeing from President Trump.
5: Do you think that the videotape described in the Steele dossier exists?
4: Oh, yes, I do. Um, I have not seen anything uh, that would make me uh, come to any different conclusion uh, and and I, I just think that you have to, uh, whenever you see smoke, you need to investigate to see whether or not uh, there's a fire causing it, how big the fire is, whether or not we're gonna put it out or let it burn. Uh, there's a lot of smoke here. I mean, you see this much smoke, there's fire somewhere and we gotta put it out. We cannot allow it to continue to smolder because before you know it, we'll all go up in flames if we do. The House
1: is on fire. Strong words from Congressman Kleinberg. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
4: Thank you, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: All right, friends. uh, Up next, Isaac sits down with John Cho. Shawnee Hilton is stalking the set. She's so excited, and so are we.
0: I am joined by one of the most handsome guests to ever grace the set of AM to DM. He's here, ladies and gentlemen, actor John Cho. Good morning, how are you? Good morning. What's I'm it well. like being so handsome?
6: It's rough. Oh, it's, it's, it's unexpectedly oh. rough. Um, there's a lot of uh, touching, mm. unwanted touching. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, adulation has its dark side, Isaac. Can you speak a little bit more about that? I can't.
0: Oh, wow, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to take it to a tough, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's, 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 let's move now to searching. Okay. Know, I understand, handsome is a difficult topic for you, and I understand that being so handsome must be hard. Um, searching is a great, great film.
7: <laughs> you stuck with a
0: bit,
6: very, man, I was gonna keep doing it. That was it. a very nice uh, transition. Thank you very much. Yes. Searching,
0: a searching, fantastic film, and it all Thank unfolds you. on screens. Yeah. What were some of the difficulties of, of, of shooting that?
6: Well, it was weird. Uh, it was sort of the the almost the end of the road of green screen uh, shooting. There was, I was looking at a blank laptop, and so um, much of the movie, like an almost like an animated movie, was uh, was created after we finished photography. Hmm. Um, but it was an ingenious idea that, was, that you know, initially I was uh, really hesitant to join. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it was answering this question, like, what, uh, all this drama we are living within these screens. Mm-hmm. And so um, scenes that would normally happen on a couch, you mm-hmm. know, are now sort of happening inside these devices. And so how do you dramatize it? Mm-hmm. And um, the movie took that uh, head on. And ran with it. So, so you were acting against like a blank lap.
0: Like you were just like looking at a blank screen a lot of the time while you're doing all the right, acting, yeah. which is incredible.
6: Um, you you mentioned that you were hesitant to take on the role. What made you overcome that hesitation? Well, I said no, at, and then uh, Anish Chaganti, the director, came back at me, and um, he, you know he said he wrote it for me, and we sat down. He brought his uh, laptop and showed me things that he intended to do. And really, what I had loved the script because it was it was a as unusual as the format is. It's a very um, classic thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was nervous about telling it on screens. But he said, um, "What what he what, what he impressed upon me was how cinematic it was going to be." And you see, you know, it could have been a static mm-hmm. thing, but. Um, the computer becomes the camera, it, it tracks and zooms and all this stuff so um, we had that assurance, I, I just really liked him and wanted to work with him so I said let's Let's do it. And I'm you glad I did. And it, and it did. It paid off. I'm seeing some people calling it almost a whole new genre.
0: So so in the movie, you're searching for your daughter. Yes. And you find out that she online is a much different person than she is in real life. Oh, right. Um, do you relate
6: to that at all? Is there a part of you that feels like your public persona is a lot different than your private persona? Uh, sure. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> if there were a service. That destroyed laptops after you died. I would sign that. I would sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just like you go flatline and then like five old laptops uh, and yeah, just and then, like explode. And- <laughs> an unmarked van comes to my house, uh, steps over my cadaver, and then sets all my devices on fire. Do
0: they? They don't check for a heartbeat or nothing. No. 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 Laptop
6: no, first. No. <laughs> <If> there's a. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Um, do, do you feel like? I mean, you're on Twitter a lot, though. You talk. You talk politics all the time. Is that is that true to your your your, your
6: personality? Yeah. I mean, I guess um, there's a need sometimes to shout, and mm-hmm. you know, it's the ble- the best place to do that is online. It is interesting. Like it, um, it I think the movie explores the question: Is is it, are you the real you online, or is that? the version of you you give to the world. I mean, I think it's a blend of both. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I mean, the parental nightmare that the the movie explores is, you know, my daughter goes physically missing, and then he has the double tragedy of finding out that once he goes into her computer to look for clues that she was gone long before she went missing, and, Mm. and figures out that he really didn't know his daughter. And there is a weird intimacy that people have with their devices where they sort of give... Um, of themselves to strangers what they wouldn't to uh, family members.
0: To somebody face-to-face. And and, and yeah. speaking of that, you did recently tweet, since it seems we are so much more likely to be civil face-to-face, let's have more discourse in person. Trying to urge kind of more IRL discussions. Can you talk to me a little bit?
6: Is there is there someone you've spoken to recently who you haven't agreed with? You know, I, I guess that was... Uh, that tweet was almost <laughs> to myself. It was like... I do feel that people are, um, there is, you know, online discourse for some reason it encourages, uh, encourages, uh, avariciousness, um, in a way that people uh, tend not to be when they're looking at each other in the eyes. Mm -hmm. And I I find that people, um, it it is our instinct to find commonality when uh, looking at another member of the the human species. Mm -hmm. And um, when... When removed from them via um, the device, um, people are uh, much more likely to be mean. And um, and I don't know if we're going to get to resolving uh, these issues that we have as a country if we're not looking at each other as people. Uh, so I doing keep more doing of this. this, yeah. No, I
0: like that. i mean more of this. More, more of this. I, I more mean, of this. Again, it's like I said, it's a handsome face. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Listen, uh, and I'm gonna throw this screen over here. <laughs> I can't, man. <laughs> keep, block, you keep blocking me out. Um, one of those discussions, though. One of those issues, and you've been so vocal about it, is representation in media and movies. Yeah. And um, you know, th- this summer we've got Searching, we've got Crazy Rich Asians, we've got Sandra Oh getting the uh, Emmy nom, we've got uh, Jenny Han's book, uh, To
6: All the Boys I've Loved Before, is now gonna be a Netflix movie. Does it feel like the landscape sh- is shifting? Um, you know, it's funny, I I, I, I was saying uh, to someone uh, last night that I, I do feel like things are shifting, um, and I didn't feel like that even Five years ago, but I think it's um, less to do with casting mm. uh, than it has to do with uh, creators mm. and um, people. Uh, Can you speak more on that? Well, I, I I don't think that the answer. I think I sort of the Hollywood answer was, um, you know, we'll put this Chinese star in this action movie. Mm-hmm. Are you happy now? Mm-hmm. And. Um, what I like, what I'm seeing right now is, you know, Anish Ch- uh, Chaganti, who's the writer director of my film, um, saying, I am going to write this and it's uh, going to be an Asian character and there's not going to be any uh, explicit reason f- for him to be Asian. Uh, the Jenny Han uh, people who are writing novels. Uh, it, 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 this is, um, we are uh, creating the content mm-hmm. and not being. Um, cast so it's not so it it becomes less about representation and more about expression less about
0: representation and more about expression thank you so much john cho um i really appreciate you sitting down and talking with me um I would like to express myself. Uh, You are extremely handsome. This has been a wonderful seven minutes just staring into those beautiful brown eyes. Uh, Listen, Searching Hits Theaters August 24th, and we're going to be right back with fire tweets if I'm not just, like, melting. Absolutely.
4: Okay, so
1: I want to say this. Okay. Uh, during the break, mm. <laughs> John Cho and, and like the army of people that come in with celebrities of that caliber come in. That was chaos.
4: Oh, we were I having loved fun. I We were I having wish fun. Every,
1: I wish, I honestly was like, God, I should have held up my phone and started recording. Because you know, before we go live, interview, you're like hello, hello, mm. you're getting mic'd in, getting used to sitting on that couch and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, Frank, our stage manager, starts, you know, countdowns and where to look and John Cho, he just jumped in. Frank was like, 40 seconds
0: till live. And John Cho was like, 40 seconds. That dude likes to party. He likes to have a good time. 40 seconds. It was incredible. And he was having a lot of fun. That was a hoot. And then he just brought it, like, right when those videos went live. And Were I was you like, shook? Well, I was like, I'm going to make the handsome bit. This okay. guy, And he took the bit in a totally different direction. <laughs> I respected a comedic actor. Know him, John Cho. Put him in a comedy. I, I love it. it. I love it. Let's get to these fire tweets. All right, here we go. Blue, you tweeted... Starting a support group for people who try cleaning their glasses and then putting them back on, only to realize you made it worse. Mm.
1: Mm. That means something you struggle with? Every
0: day. Yeah, I go through with my day. sunglasses. I feel like it's just like, why am I even doing this? Wipes don't work for me. I have to like wash it with soap and water mm-hmm. every day.
1: And that's why Bernard on, on Westworld is always doing <laughs> it. Because you know, it's like, Bernard can't even talk to people without. Oh, I'm you like, who's like, Bernard? Just bringing <laughs> up Westworld. My friend Bernard. My friend Bernard. Okay, this tweet comes from Lauren Chanel Allen. <laughs> Dating me is like biting into an oatmeal raisin cookie and realizing it's chocolate chip. And then realizing two hours later it was an edible. <laughs> <laughs> you I like it. You're on this ride and like you're not energy. getting off. <laughs> <laughs> you ate too
0: much? You ate too much? Oh, okay, let's move on.
1: <laughs>
0: John Milstein says, my common app essay about experiencing prejudice because I was a skateboarder was, in retrospect, extremely bad and should have gotten me banned from all colleges. Ah, yes, that's true. Yeah, you should not have oh. sent that in. That is...
1: Don't deserve your college education, John. He's
0: like, "Like those jocks make fun
1: of my chain (laughs) wallet. I might actually write that essay just Yeah, I was was, going to ask. (laughs) I was (laughs) going to ask. This tweet comes from Buku. How is August next week? September is basically tomorrow. It's already 2019. Happy New Year. Nah, man. It's true. I saw someone tweet, uh, Halloween is 100 days away. Don't. Man, no! Yeah. I refuse, what are you I refuse be? to acknowledge. What are you gonna refuse to acknowledge.
0: I refuse to acknowledge. What are your New Year's this? plans? Well don't. What no, are you getting me for Valentine's it's Day? Summer still people, <laughs> hold on to your summer moments. <laughs> Tweet of the day. Tweet of the day, you ready? Corey tweeted, holding my newborn son, me, he's beautiful, doctor. We're gonna have to give him some shots. Me. Oh, hell yeah, pour up. It's his fucking birthday. Okay, Corey.
1: <laughs> Calm back, Corey. Bow, 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 Calm down, Come on, baby, the baby shots. Just baby gentle. shots. Gentle. Baby. Gentle. Get your vaccines, <laughs> though. Seriously, that's important. That's super important. <laughs> oh, my God. You are John Cho. <laughs> he got the I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Also, shout out to that, that baby blue ice ice, outfit. Ice, was ice, the ice baby. Shoes. I was living. All right, up next, friends. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a John Cho appreciation show <laughs> It'll now. It'll never be the same. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie is revealing our Woman Crush Wednesday. Ooh, that's something I we can switch gears from thinking we about. Got something we got we it, we got it, we got the range. We Not got the, the
0: range.
8: <laughs> Vulture staff writer Angelica Jade Bastian tweeted For my first Vulture profile, I visited the spellbinding Patricia Clarkson at her home to discuss her process as an actor, being a woman in Hollywood, and her wounding performance in Sharp Objects. Angelica joins me now to discuss none other than our Woman Crush Wednesday this week. Ta da! <laughs> Patricia Clarkson, obviously. There she is, the woman herself. Hi, Angelica. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. So you called Patricia spellbinding, which I think is an apt term for her uh, performance in this mini series. What was it like to speak to her as your first profile?
7: Uh, It was overwhelming and very exciting because I got to go into her home that she's been in for 11 years. And I was like, I'm very honored. And her dog is very sweet and she's amazing and open and very easily sweeps you up into her emotional life. I think she's probably the most charismatic person I've ever been in a room with.
8: Wow. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Patricia Clarkson has a very nice dog.
7: Yeah, like named after Isadora Duncan. So it's like a cool dog who's also really quiet and weirdly cat-like. It's a very interesting dog, sweet dog.
8: Sounds like my perfect dog. So she's starring in HBO's Sharp Objects as the twisted mother, Adora. So what does she bring to that performance?
7: I think what she brings is a sense of humanity. That's a character that could easily end up being a caricature as just like the crazy, evil, demanding mother. But there's this thread of vulnerability to Adora that I think is very much Patricia Clarkson understanding the different layers of who this woman is. And yes, she's a mess and a terrible mom, but she's also someone with her own twisted history that has made her who she is, which Patricia is great at understanding and bringing to the role.
8: Yeah, for sure, and I feel like that's a hard thing to nail, Um, but it's something that I definitely got reading the book, so I'm glad that she is in the role and she's able to show that vulnerability. So how did she describe getting into a twisted character like that?
7: Well, this isn't new for her. She's played a lot of really complex and sometimes, yes, twisted women, and for her, she said she didn't really find Adora as a character until she started putting on Adora's clothes and figured out her voice so for her this isn't a new process it's just she kind of has to shift things for every character and she talked a lot about how her grandmother was a touchstone for the good parts of adora um so she's someone who really brings a lot of herself into performances a lot of her own history uh which i find really fascinating
8: yeah you wrote that Patricia has built a stunning career out of playing complex women, primarily in supporting roles, with each performance feeling more distinctive than the last. But none are as emotionally fractured and with as deep a sense of a twisted past as Adora. How do you think Adora <laughs> compares to some of the other roles that Patricia has played?
7: I feel like Adora is sort of in line with characters Patricia has played in films like High Art and Pieces of April, women who are kind of bring a sense of history to the world they're in, who are very exacting and don't really uh, uh, bend for anybody else. The thing is with Adora, and I think what's interesting and different is how this exacting nature plays out with her children in a very different way than Patricia has played a character before. So, uh, you know, is kind of a mess um, and terrible to her children in very different ways than Patricia has played uh, with other performances. But they feel in line with stuff she's interested in, especially a sense of family and history and, you know, Southern culture. I feel it's in line with what Patricia has done before, but it's like she's stepping up her game, basically.
8: Yeah, and in Discussing Adora, she brings up her stage production role of Blanche Dubois in the streetcar name, Desire. So what kind of parallels did she draw between those two characters?
7: Well, I think she mentioned uh, how Amy Adams really wanted her for the role, and she believes that Amy saw that she had an even more tortured Blanche in her. Because I feel like this character is very in line with Blanche in terms of the very thorny, family relationship, uh, a past that makes this woman kind of broken and wounded and wounding at the same time. Also what's funny about Patricia to me is she feels like the most well-adjusted Tennessee Williams character he never wrote because she's very, like there's a decadence to her and uh, a, a sense of drama in history although she's nothing like Adora. I mean, she's not as crazy as Adora, but uh, she just has a very similar energy to those characters. Um, And so she kind of talked about how the emotional life of Blanche and Adora, they share some similarities.
8: Yeah, for sure. Well, I am super excited to see the rest of the show. I just reread the book at anticipation. So Angelica, thank you so much for joining me today and giving us a little bit of insight into your amazing piece. Oh, thank you for having me. You have a great day. You too. When we come back, I'm talking to Jenna Sowers about the challenges of breastfeeding. Sarah Ajamian tweeted, If you've ever wanted to understand the plight of a new mom back to work, read Jenna Sowers' great piece on why moms stop breastfeeding. And here to talk about her piece for Harper's Bazaar is Jenna Sowers. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on.
9: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you wrote
8: that four out of five women start out breastfeeding, but only one in five managed to, manages to breastfeed exclusively for six months. So. I think there's a lot of talk in our culture about why women stop breastfeeding and a lot of it is put on the mother. But what are the challenges that women face in the workplace that actually make them stop being able to breastfeed?
9: Yeah, um, I think that framing is really important. There's been a lot of um, public health messaging about the importance of breastfeeding and um, a lot of responsibility is placed on women to navigate these barriers and succeed at breastfeeding. Uh, But we don't talk as often or in as much detail about the barriers that women face and those include first and foremost the maternity leave situation in this country. That's the biggest hurdle that women face when they want to breastfeed. Um, The United States is the only industrialized country that does not have mandatory paid parental leave and so women in the United States return to work much sooner and work also later into their pregnancies than women in other countries. Um, according to one survey, almost a quarter of working US women return to their jobs within two weeks of giving birth. So at that point, two weeks postpartum, you are barely into your breastfeeding relationship. It usually takes at least a month to get into a routine, to produce enough milk that you can uh, comfortably feed your baby. Uh, And many women find establishing that breastfeeding relationship extremely difficult, even under the best of circumstances. So when you have to return to work immediately after giving birth, keeping up with breastfeeding can be extremely challenging. Uh, Even if you have maternity leave, it's in the United States a lot shorter than in other industrialized countries. Usually, um, most women who take some kind of maternity leave, it's unpaid. It's through something like the Family Medical Leave Act, which allows you to take time off, but it's not paid. Or it's through disability or another kind of short-term leave where you might get 60% of your salary for you know two months or something like that. Um, and so, you return to work two or three months postpartum, you're still early in your breastfeeding relationship, and you need to pump. And it's, that's where you encounter barriers in the built environment. Um, most American women of, who are mothers of young infants don't have access to a private place to pump. And many don't have the break time or the flexibility in their work schedules that would allow them to pump. So it's, it becomes a real challenge.
8: Yeah, there were so many things about this story that infuriated me. And one of them was the fact that, you know, this isn't just, you know, companies that you would think where, you know, women are underpaid or maybe shift workers or something like that. Women in these big tech companies who put so much effort and resources into making it into a workplace that they think people want to be in. You know, you mentioned a lot of these companies have like kegs in the break room and ping pong tables. You found that some of these places did not even have a lactation room for women who want to breastfeed. So
9: why do you think these companies are falling short? Well, In the case of the tech industry, we know that that's a very heavily male-dominated industry. Uh, And also a lot of these companies are very young and they have young workforces. Uh, I talked to a number of women, a number of the sources who I interviewed said they were in the position where they were the first person at their company to get pregnant or among the first. So it was almost like they were guinea pigs for the company's policies on flexible scheduling, maternity leave, pumping. Uh, It was all a new world. Um, That being said, you know, I think, I think companies that are serious about attracting and retaining top, particularly female talent, um, should be aware of these things. These are not new issues. Um, women have been breastfeeding for eternity and women have also been working outside the home in the United States for generations. Um, that shift where the majority of American women started working outside the home took place in like the 70s and 80s. This is a long time that we've, we've faced these issues. Um, I think to a certain extent, uh, the lack of access to lactation rooms and things can also possibly put, be put down to a certain amount of stigma around breastfeeding and around women's bodies. Um, stigma that we haven't yet moved beyond as a society. Yeah, another thing that you mentioned
8: was travel is extremely difficult with breastfeeding. And I read some things about this before, but another story in your story that really made me mad was you talked to a woman whose company I put her up in a high-end hotel that was, I'm sure, extremely expensive. And it was so expensive that the way the fridge was set up was you could not put things in the fridge without being charged. And she was trying to put milk, she had pumped, on a business trip into the fridge and the hotel chain was fighting back with her saying you can't put anything in this fridge. That was just one thing that she encountered on her travels that made it difficult to breastfeed and be away from her baby. So what are some other ways that traveling women can't
9: end up having to give up breastfeeding because it's just too hard? It's true, if your job involves travel that is a whole other level of complication. Uh, It doesn't even have to necessarily be like international travel to get complicated. Um, even something as simple as uh, traveling for an offsite meeting or if, you're, if you say work in sales and you spend a lot of time working on client premises or traveling around during your workday, the logistics of planning for pumping become incredibly complicated uh, because not all of the spaces have lactation rooms and then the access procedures for each one can be highly specific and individual to that space or company. Um, When it comes to airports, hotels, that kind of travel, I mean, the complications start with, say, the TSA getting through security. Breast milk is exempt from the liquid's restrictions, but the ice that is used to keep it cold, that can be considered a liquid, especially if an ice pack is slushy. So you may get through security and find that you no longer have any ice to keep your milk cold. You need ice, you're in an airport terminal, what do you do? you probably go to Starbucks and hope that you know, they'll give you some ice. Um, And when it comes to planning the timing of your pumping to hopefully avoid having to pump actually on an airplane, because that's really tricky, do you go to the bathroom, the tiny little unsanitary space, um, and try to pump there and maybe dump the milk because it's It's of questionable sanitation. Do you pump in a seat next to somebody covered with a blanket, a stranger beside you? It's tricky. Um, Most people try to pump in the airport before they take off, um, but airports are not lactation friendly. Uh, There was actually a survey done and 100 US airports uh, replied to it two-thirds of them described themselves as breastfeeding friendly, and 37 said that they were friendly to pumping and had a space for women to pump in. But when they were asked about the facilities that they actually had, only eight of those 100 airports actually had a private room that was not a bathroom that had an outlet and a chair for women to use. So most of those other airports that said that they supported women who needed to pump actually just had like a family restroom that women could use, but maybe it didn't have an outlet. And besides, it's a bathroom, and that's not a great place to be pumping milk that you're going to feed your newborn baby.
8: Yeah. Yeah. a Bathroom is not a place to pump. Yeah. I just want to finish here with a tweet that you shared yesterday that I thought was really profound. One thing I became convinced of in reporting this story is that while these problems may not affect all of us equally it's on all of us to find more equitable solutions. So, you know, people like me who read the story who were horrified with some of the things you were describing, what is something that we can do?
9: Well, there are a number of things. Um, There are two pieces of federal legislation that um, could perhaps be worthy of support. There's one, proposed by uh, Senator Jeff Merkley and Democratic uh, Congressional Representative Carolyn Maloney that would close the gaps in the existing federal law um, which mandates for hourly workers but not for salary workers and not for a lot of other categories of workers including teachers um, that working women with newborn children have access at minimum to a space to express milk that's private and not a bathroom and also break time in which to do it. Um, There's also a law introduced by Senator Tammy Duckworth that would address the situation specifically in airports by um, allowing, excuse me, airports to use existing federal funds to improve their lactation rooms and make them not bathrooms. Um, at the state level, uh, there are some states that already have laws that are stronger than the federal law. Um, the federal law doesn't provide for any penalties if employers don't uh, follow, the, follow the rules regarding um, break time and spaces. There are certain states, Oregon and Minnesota are among them, that have slightly tougher laws that do provide for things like fines, that do require that the break time that women receive for pumping be paid and not off the clock. Uh, you can push for states, uh, for your own state, to introduce a law like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And Senator Tammy Duckworth, first woman mm-hmm. to,
8: woman senator to give yeah. birth while in office. So, yeah. thank you so much, Jenna, for reporting this important issue. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, and Isaac and Saeed are responding to your tweets.
0: Welcome back. That was such a a wonderful conversation conversation. and and that
1: article is wow.
0: Yeah, and we just shared it from AM to DM. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, highly recommend that Mm. you do. I've got ping pong
1: tables and all kinds of things, but don't have spaces for mothers to Mm. pump. Yep. Hmm. Be better. Be better. Be better. Well, we asked you to respond to the misinformation question. How do you deal with it? You know, mm-hmm. you, you've shared a, a photo, you know, of something going on in weather, and you find out, oh, that was from five years ago, or an article, whatever. Uh, Saber Breaker. <laughs> I like that username. Uh, has a simple strategy. When I share something that turns out to be fake, I retweet the correct information and unretweet the fake information. All right.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a smooth way
1: to do it. Um, uh, what about you? Do you have it's tricky. I mean, it's uh, it's hard. I mean, I, I it, you know, if it's been retweeted a lot and mm-hmm. it's gained a lot of traction, you know, I think sometimes you also kind of have not just deleted and shared the helpful. You also have to say, like, listen, I, I deleted something, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, transparency. Make, yeah,
0: kind of transparent. It's hard. I, I worry about
1: looking like I'm, like, trying to be sneaky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like a lot not going on man. act like
0: you're always in the light act like Ooh, you're always okay. in the light I will say this though too um there's there's a there's, there's a part of me that when it when it comes to this stuff and and, and people are, are are retweeting it or sharing it and the, like you said kind of issuing a statement is one thing to do another thing I'd really like to recommend people do is if you see somebody issuing a correction be sure to retweet that because that I so often point. see yep. the fake thing has all of these massive right. retweets and then the reporter who's actually figured out that hey this is fake news you know tries to get it out there and that
1: has like 38 retweets and 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 that's the thing and unfortunately this happens and we're human but uh, it's you can't once it's out it's out it's like a genie out of the bottle you know mm-hmm. it's just like really hard to undo that kind of experience
0: but we can always do a little bit of work um th-
1: that next tweet I feel like we just rolled on it yeah. Well, I guess I'll read this one. Um, okay. Michelle Stevens has a response to my interview with uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn. He had some. He said some things. Mm-hmm. He said some things. Um, you said this, Michelle. I am glad Congressman Clyburn was available to speak on A and to D. M. His wisdom and institutional knowledge should not be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Fair point. But I am uh, interested in. This continued conversation. There are many people are going to obviously be engaging this this idea of this generational distance Mm -hmm. and saying that you know, people like ocasio Cortez need to wait and you know it's that's okay. He said a lot. That was a lot. I'll say this. I was here for his metaphors. I really liked a lot of firefighting metaphors. Took everything I had for me not to start singing the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Oh. I was like, because I was like oh my god you're going through like all of the lyrics this imagine if he had joined yeah, yeah. in
0: it could have been a little <laughs> nice harmony thank you yeah. thank you so much to everyone who came on the show of course the handsome 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 John Cho mm. Congressman Jim Clyburn Jane Lipton Yanko Charlie Warzel Ben Smith Stephanie McNeil Angelica Bastien and Jenna Sowers for joining us again a wonderful conversation it's been quite a morning
1: friends mm-hmm. as always thank you for joining us we will see you tomorrow 10 a.m. tomorrow is Thursday, Thursday. baby okay alright getting there time is
0: You're getting there. Time is (laughs) passing.
1: My birthday's in four months. All right.